Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. It seems there's always a gap between where we are and where we want to be or what we want to be. This applies to us personally, nationally, and globally. Now, Confucius famously said something along the lines of, in order to change the world, we have to change ourselves first. And it's pretty clear that that's true, but this is always easier said than done. How do we change our behavior, our habits? How do we change ourselves? We want to write a book but never have the time. We want to play a piano, the piano, but it sits there unused. And the famous one, of course, we want to lose weight, particularly in a new year, but we want to start the diet tomorrow. Uh, Luckily, today we have with us uh, Professor Art Markham, who has written a book on changing behavior. The name of the book is Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. Now, Professor Markham is also the author of Smart Thinking and Habits of Leadership. He's a professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas in Austin, and he's the founding director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations program, which he set up there. He blogs regularly for Psychology Today, the Huffington Post, Harvard Business Review Online, and he's been called the top cognitive science in his field. Professor Markman, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. Okay, well, as I was saying just before we started, I think that this field of changing behavior is a rich one, and it's nice to have a book that is so down-to-earth and practical, but also based in science. And I'm calling the show The Science of Changing Behavior because this is not one of these um, touchy-feely or mystical books about uh, positive thinking. It really gets into the science of how we go about and change our behavior. But to get things going here, what was your inspiration for writing this book? Sure, thanks so much. You know, it, it, the, the thing about, the, about this book was, uh, you know, I look around the world and I think to myself, almost everybody I know has a mind, almost nobody knows how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like if people understood a little bit more about the way that the, that the mind works, they might do a, a better job of achieving the goals that they have, of thinking more effectively. And so a lot of my, um, a lot of my inspiration is to try and take some of the science that's out there and to present it to people in, in as clear a way as possible and then to take that and not just educate you about hey here's the science but but here's what you can do with it here's how you can actually live your life differently and better by knowing a little bit more about the way that you think okay so in terms in terms of uh, what we would need to know about the science behind this if you could maybe summarize uh, what science stands behind 
your approach to changing behavior here? Sure. So I think one of the things that people are really unaware of is that it, the best way to think about the way that your behavior operates is to think about the structure of what's called the motivational system. And your motivational system has two distinct parts to it. So if you've ever seen a brain before, the human brain sort of looks like two boxing gloves set the wrong way around with the thumbs on the outside, only it's wrinklier than the typical boxing glove. And the outer part of the brain is gray in color. That's our gray matter. And, and then if you, if you were to actually slice into the brain a little bit, you'd discover that it quickly turns white, which the neuroscientists uh, cleverly call white matter. And, uh, and that has to do, the, that white matter involves some of the structural cells of the brain and a lot of the, the insulation on our nerve cells that carry information from one part of the brain to another. And if you keep slicing through the brain, eventually you come down to more gray matter deep inside the brain, uh, some structures that are called the basal ganglia, though that's not going to be on the exam. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so... Um, if you look at those structures, those structures are deeply involved in the creation of behavior, in the formation of habits. And in the book, I call those the go system, because what they do is they engage the goals that you have, they drive you towards behavior, and they're constantly looking for situations in which you're repeating behaviors so that you can turn those into habits that you can perform mindlessly. Now, that GO system is really efficient. It's the, it's the kind of brain structure that we share with all sorts of other animals, uh, you know, down from rats and mice to, to deer to cats and dogs. Um, there's another brain system that's really important when we're thinking about changing behavior, and that involves uh, some structures that are right above the eyes in the, in the frontal cortex and the fingers of that boxing glove. And, and those structures are involved in stopping behaviors that you no longer want to perform. So you start to do something and then you realize, I don't want to do this anymore. And that system, which, which I call the stop system, is um, it works, but it's much less efficient than the go system is. And so what that means is that it can be impaired by stress. It can be impaired by overuse, by drugs and alcohol. And so what that means for us is a lot of times when we set out to change our behavior, what we try to do is to engage that stop system to stop us from doing things that we don't want to do anymore, when what we really need to do is to reprogram that go system to drive us towards new behaviors that will be the thing that we want to sustain in the long term. Yeah, I thought that one of the uh, original uh, ideas in your book was exactly in the go system versus the stop system. Not only, uh, as you just pointed out, is it is it based on the structure of the brain, but it also puts into very practical language something which I which I think we all experience. Uh, I view this go system as some kind of insatiable desire uh, that needs to be fulfilled and it needs to constantly be fed. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and and one of the one of the things though that I thought was really good about uh, the, the way you distinguish these two systems, the stop and the go system, is that you say that the stop system requires effort, and and I'm wondering whether you could elaborate a little bit about what is the dis you know the distinction be uh, between these two systems and and how we can deal with it. Sure. Yeah. 
So the the thing about the Go system is because it's uh, it's so efficient because it's it's had you know millions of years of evolution to really uh, optimize itself. It, it's able to engage a lot of our behaviors just because they've become associated with the environment that we're in. They become the thing that feels right for us to do in the short term, which is you know that's one of the big things for 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 uh, human beings and and all animals is that we we are strongly driven to to do the thing that feels right in the short term. The the stop system, on the other hand, so here you are, you're in a situation in which there's a behavior that you want to, that you no longer want to perform. And, and in order to engage that stop system, you actually need to put in a little bit of mental effort. Now, sometimes that works fairly straightforwardly. So, for example, I finally got one of those cars that has a key that, that just, that, that is a smart key, so you don't need to stick it into the, into the steering column anymore. Yeah. And honestly, for the first couple of weeks I had that car, I was still trying to jam that key into the <laughs> yeah. steering column yeah, that's uh, rather than just leaving it in my pocket. Yeah. And, uh, and after a while, you know, I would engage that goal that, that habit that I had after years of driving of pulling the key out and sticking it in the steering column and I would start to do it and then that stop system would kick in and it would and it would stop me from doing that and that was great uh, except that if I was distracted if I was thinking about something else then then the go system would kick back in again so if I didn't have the mental effort that I needed then then I'd find myself reverting to that old behavior now luckily for me there was no reward anymore to engaging the old behavior and so and so after a while I just stopped jamming the key into the steering <laughs> column because there was no benefit for it but for a lot of the behaviors we're trying to change, particularly things like what you mentioned, things like, like eating differently, uh, there still is a reward in the short term to eating that Ben and Jerry's ice cream or that, that delicious piece of cake or that third helping of food. And so, um, so the go system doesn't really learn not to do that. Uh, and so you, you're constantly engaging that stop system. And because it requires effort, every once in a while you just don't have the energy that you need to uh, to use that stop system, and that's when you find yourself going back to the old behaviors. Yeah, and it, this points towards uh, redirecting the go system. Right? I mean, this, that's right. That that's where this heads because I think that you put in in as I said earlier in very uh, clear terms the distinction between these two aspects of our motivational system. I mean, I think most of us could identify with this desire to satisfy short-term cravings uh... the you know i i also analogize it to uh... you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer and so a lot of people you know obviously everyone has inboxes and there's there's a tendency to do what's on the top of your inbox first to do mm -hmm. the thing that is right in front of you as opposed to start preparing to work on a brief that's due in three weeks, it, right. it, it tends, you know, it's just something in us, and I, it, it, I have a hard time figuring out what that is, other than maybe we need to reinvent the inbox. Um, but, but here though, I think we we see something that clearly tells us that we need to redirect that that immediate go system motivational. Uh, system. So let's talk about some of the methods that you you use, that you uh, advise folks to use to redirect the ghost system. But I think we have to uh, also get clear here about your distinction between um, 
contributions and achievements because I think mm-hmm. that, that I think that's something that plays into uh, this redirection of the ghost system. And you use these terms in different in different um, ways, perhaps, and some people are are accustomed to. So let's let's talk a little bit about you know getting this ghost system set up to point in a different direction. And 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 why don't you um, first maybe elaborate upon the contributions and the achievements? Yeah, so I, I borrowed that language, contributions and achievements, from Peter Drucker, the, the management guru. And I did that in part because if you're going to begin to think differently about the way you act, sometimes it's useful to put different labels on things rather than using some of the same old labels that you've been using in the past, just to give you some, some new clarity about what you're thinking about. So the way that Drucker talks about these is that the achievements um, are, are just the kinds of things that you check off your daily to-do list. So they are often the things that are sitting right on the top of your, of your inbox. Um, and, and then your contributions are the things where when you look back over a three or six month period, you think, wow, that's the thing I really did. You know, when you look back over the last six months of work, for example, you're not going to say, wow, what, how great was it that I answered 10,000 emails? Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. that's just, that's not the thing that's really going to get you excited. But if you uh, accomplish something significant, if you if you helped someone do something, if you brought a project to completion, if you in your life, if you learned to play a musical instrument, those are the kinds of big picture items that that you really um, think about as your contributions. And the reason that I like to make this distinction, that I think it's important, is because if you are systematically failing to make progress on those big picture items, that's one of the signals that you have that you really do need to make some changes in your behavior. If there's something you really want to accomplish, whether it's learning to play an instrument or losing weight or making a big contribution at work, and you find that you're not making progress towards doing that, that's the point at which you want to reorient that behavior, change the way the ghost system is operating so that you can actually begin to make progress on that. And what I do in Smart Change is to say, look, there are five sets of tools that you need to use. And honestly, you end up needing to engage all of them if you're going to really tackle the most persistent behaviors. And I, um, what I try to do is to, is to orient those tools towards the various aspects of the motivational system so that you can essentially work with the structure of the system rather than against it when you're trying to change your behavior. Yeah, I- I think that along the lines here, I mean, what we're doing is we are sort of setting up uh, the field of play here for fitting in mm-hmm. your five goals to change behavior. And But I think that what is so important here and is that to set up the big goal or the big picture goal, which, which would be the contribution, you have to do that. Because if you don't, then all you're going to have are these sort of disconnected, quote unquote, achievements. I mean, your right. example being, you know, if your if your goal if your uh, if your task for the day is I'm going to respond to 20 client emails today. Well, that w- that was good. You did respond, or or I'm going to write five letters, and you write five letters. But what big picture goal? are you pointing towards and i think that 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 is that is really good i i tell you know and then that ties into another one of your points which which is uh, also something that's 
that's critical, I think, is that it's crucial to make daily progress on long-term goals. But you got to set that long-term goal or that long-term contribution. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Professor Art Markman, the author of the new book, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. And we're setting up his program on how to actually change behavior and point ourselves towards more productive goals. Okay, so now we have these five different goals to change behavior. And let's and let's talk about these because I think that this is the core of of your system here. Uh, and the first one, look, it's optimize goals. And mm-hmm. wh- and why don't you elaborate upon what you mean by that? professor yeah absolutely you know it's funny a lot of us fail at the process of changing our behavior from the moment that we state what it is we're hoping to accomplish (laughs) and we do that in a couple of ways and we do that really in the way that we frame the goals that we're that we set out for ourselves and goals are the the structures that our motivational system engages to drive our behavior frankly if you didn't have any goals you'd be a couch potato you would just lie there all day and not do anything now Two of the big things that we do, the first thing that we, the, the first problem we have with our goals is that we often set negative goals rather than positive ones. And what I mean by that is we tend to focus on something we're, we don't want to do anymore rather than something that we're actually trying to achieve, a, a set of behaviors we want to perform. So, for example, people will say things like, I want to eat less, I want to check my email less often, uh, I want to, for me, once a long time ago, is I want to stop biting my nails. And, and those kinds of things are, are negative goals because you're trying to stop doing things. And what that means is by framing the goal in that way, you're actually riding the brakes. You're riding the stop system. Because the go system, which is desperately seeking to create new habits by associating the actions you take with the environment, well, the go system can't learn anything when you don't do something. So every single time that you successfully don't check your email or don't bite your nails or don't eat something, each one of those times that go system doesn't learn anything. And so when you get back into that situation again, the go system is still going to suggest the behavior you don't want to perform. And now all you can do is hope that that stop system, which is effortful, it's less efficient, you got to hope that that holds, and eventually that uh, that strategy is doomed to failure. So that's one problem with our goals. The second big problem with our goals is that we often focus selectively on outcomes. So outcomes are important because you need to know when you've succeeded at doing something. But you can't focus only on outcomes. If you focus only on outcomes, then the problem is you, you, you haven't created a process for living your life that is sustainable. So let me give you an example. Sure. Imagine you know somebody who desperately wants to get in a relationship. And I've, you know, you all, we always know there's somebody out there who, who's trying to meet a new person. Right. And that person is really hard to hang out with, partly <laughs> because every single person that they meet is now being evaluated for whether they have mate potential. <laughs> but also, um, they, are, they are focused selectively on that particular goal, and if they achieve it, now what? Right, They move on to the next thing, and then they wonder why the relationship that they develop doesn't succeed. Yeah. 
Right? right? So instead, what I tell people is if you're in a situation like that, what you want to do instead is to find a way of living your life where the desirable uh, contribution, the desirable big picture goal is a side effect of the daily activities you're going through. So for people trying to get in a relationship, you know, hang out with um, with like-minded people, volunteer at an organization, join a religious group, um, get involved in activities that you enjoy, where as a side effect of that, you're going to meet some people who might actually be uh, available and interested. Because, and one of the advantages of doing that, not only because it, not only does it not make you feel, look desperate, but it, it, that's the way you live your life. And now if you do successfully get in a relationship, the two of you are going about living your life, and now you're living it together. And so uh, it isn't the case that you've devoted all this energy just to finding a relationship. Now you move on to the next thing. You're not moving on to the next thing. You're doing this as a part of your life. So if you, if you really nail the way you set up your goals by creating positive goals and creating some number of those that are focused on the process of living your life, Life rather than just outcomes, you give yourself the best possible foundation for making real changes in your behavior. Yeah, I think that's very, very helpful, and I think it, it's in tune with what you've been saying about the GO system as some kind of uh, energizer bunny or some kind of uh, <laughs> some kind of energy source yeah. that that needs to be fulfilled. Because if you just focus on an outcome, say lose you know lose five pounds, well that's great, but how are you going to get there? And, yeah. and this 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 focusing on process, uh, it, it it's it I think it resonates with the go system because now you are are directing your energy to to accomplishing something. Now now what what uh, is a uh, sort of a question that sort of springs out here, and I'm not positive this is this is the right stage to ask it, but but I think a lot of people are wondering, you know what. How does this relate? How does what you're saying relate to this positive thinking movement? Because yeah. because, because yeah, no, so that, many of us yeah, have that, you know have born, uh, you know. I mean, you mentioned uh, Norman Vincent Peale, and mm-hmm. you know there is a whole culture built around positive thinking. So so yeah. so how how does that, how do how do, does that relate to what you do here? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. You know, it's it's uh, it's a little bit frustrating to to hear people focused selectively on the positive, and it's not that it's not that positive thinking is is necessarily a, a terrible thing by itself. The problem is that as we transition from creating these goals to really the next stage of developing uh, uh, new behaviors, which is to really engage that go system. One of the things that we need to do is to create really good plans. And I, and I should point out that beha- you know, behavior change is hard work. In Smart Change, I have a journal that people can fill out. I actually give that journal away. That's right. For free, I give that journal away uh, on, my, uh, on my website, um, which is smartthinkingbook.com. Um, on, under the Smart Change tab, you can actually download a free copy of the journal. And, and there's a lot of work you need to do when, you, uh, when you're engaged in this kind of behavior change. Um, one of the things that you need to do, and this relates to this issue of positive thinking, is you need to really think clearly about what is going to go wrong when you try to change behavior. What are the obstacles? What are the resource limitations? What are the things 
that have held you back in the past? What are the bad habits you have? I recommend that people keep a diary for about two weeks where they look at the behaviors that they're engaging in right now before they even try to make a change. In some ways, you could think of what you're doing as engaging that little voice in your head that you have all the time that tries to talk you out of making changes. Engage that voice. Use it. Really understand what's going to go wrong. But then make one small change. Rather than trying to use that voice to, to really convince yourself not to do something, use that voice as, a, as an empowering voice to find the obstacles and to plan for them in advance. Because if you're aware of what's going to go wrong and you're ready for it, then you stand a much better chance of succeeding at the plan that you set for yourself than if you just wait for those obstacles to come along. And the problem with a lot of the positive thinking work is if you ignore the obstacles, that doesn't mean they're going to go away. They are going to show up anyhow. And then you're not going to be ready for them and you're going to end up giving in to a lot of the temptations that you end up facing. Yeah, I think that that's that's a I think that advances the whole program on the positive thinking uh, area. And for, and for myself, I mean, one of my uh, tricks is that I have tried to train myself that whenever I uh, am in a procrastinating or lazy mode, I do it anyways. I fight mm -hmm. through. I fight through that, and that and that frankly is is really it. It's really a helpful thing, but. But I think that that's an obstacle we all have. I mean, it's, in many ways, it's a lot more fun to be sitting on a couch watching a football game or watching a cooking show or something than, doing, than writing another paper, for example. And, Absolutely. And it's, some, it's something that you, when you break through, and it, it does become habit-forming. So I think that, that is, that's clearly um, important to, to keep in mind here. So... So we, we have the goals, and so what's what's the next step here? What's what's the next uh, key key method to change behavior in your system? Right. So having uh, having developed the goals, the next thing, as I was alluding to, is really developing a plan that engages that go system. Yes, yes. Now, the way you engage that plan is to remember that the go system is only. Uh, uh, focused on specific actions you can take, and this is where. Um, behavior change can get a little bit difficult because, of course, what you're trying to do ultimately is to make one of these big picture contributions, to do something really big. But the only way to do something big is to, is to engage in small actions and to actually plan those actions at a level where they can make it onto your calendar. Right, So you have to really say, I'm going to do this thing every morning, or I'm going to go to the gym uh, on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. Not three times a week even, because three times a week never happens, but yeah. Monday happens, Thursday happens, Saturday happens. So these need to be behaviors that you can actually perform. These need to be behaviors where when you've done them, you know whether you've done them correctly or not. You want to define them specifically enough so that you can't wriggle out of them, you know, yes. because we're, we're very good at, at, at kind of, you know, um, uh, not, you know, putting in only half the effort that we need to put in. So you, you really need to be specific enough that you can say, yeah, 
you know, I didn't, I, I didn't just walk by the gym, you know, I didn't just spend 10 minutes there. You know, I've committed to a specific routine and I, and I engaged in that and I know that I completed it. And, and so the, that, that specific plan that takes into account the obstacles that you have is really critical. And as you point out, which I think is really important, once you have done that often enough, that really be- begins to become the next set of habits that you have. Right. right. So, for example, in the book, I talk about the fact that when I was in my mid-30s, I actually took up the saxophone, having never played the sax before. And one of the parts of that was that um, I committed to, uh, to practicing in the evening after dinner. Now, notice evening after dinner is something that actually happens every day. And one of the nice things about creating a consistent practice schedule like that was that after a while, the after-dinner period became so strongly associated with playing the saxophone that now, if for some reason something got in my way of practicing, now my habit-learning system started nagging me. It's time to play. It's time to play. And that became the, the behavior that my, that my habits wanted me to engage. It seems so important here, Art, to make that first step or to break through that I guess it's the the the, uh, the the obstacle. It's front and center to to make that first change, where it becomes something you then build upon. Mm-hmm. And, and and as you as as you were talking, I was thinking, well, where where does you know calendars and reminder lists come into this? I mean, so many. I mean, for example, when you were um, le- uh, setting up the program to learn the saxophone, uh, how did you practically do that did you did you write it in your smartphone did you set did you put post-its on on your bedroom door i mean how how did you how did you do that yeah you know it's it's funny and and this actually begins to get at one of the later sets of tools but hey let's you know there's no time like the present to talk about it which is that it's important to really manage that environment that you have your environment is such a powerful influence on your behavior, and a lot of times we don't necessarily think about the role that the environment plays. So, you know, leaving yourself reminders to do something um, and structuring that environment to make the really desirable behaviors as easy as possible to perform and the undesirable behaviors as, as hard to perform as possible, you know, that's those are important elements of, of really trying to change behavior. So, for example, when I was learning to play the sax, you know, one of the things that I did was I cleared out some space in one of the rooms in my house, and I set up my saxophone and left it out yeah. on a little stand so that it was there, so that I didn't have to, you know, first pull it out of its case and put it together and do all of this stuff where there'd be an extra 10 or 15 minutes of preparation work before I could even play. Yeah. Right. So it had to be there and it had to be there as a reminder as well. It's sitting there in the environment. So when I see it, I can go, oh, yeah, um, there it is. It's time. You know, I really need to make sure that I do that now. Um, and, and leaving reminders for yourself, you know, the calendar is a part of your environment. And I certainly kept a calendar, particularly for things like uh, taking lessons. So I, I managed to find a musician who was willing to wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning and teach me yeah. uh, before I went into work. 
And, uh, and, and, you know, I had to, there it was blocked out of my calendar every week. And everyone who helped me to schedule things for my calendar knew that that was, that was time that was blocked out that, that I, I couldn't, uh, nothing could be scheduled over that, you know, and, and that's an important thing too, right? Is, is to make sure that you, that you actually make the, 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 um, events that you want to be part of your life enough of a priority that they don't easily get scheduled over by other things. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Professor Art Markman, the author of the new book, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. And as I think you just said, uh, Art, you also on your, on, a, on your website, there is a free... Um, form for somebody to, to get involved in the Smart Change program, and I, I and we'll talk about we'll talk about that at the end. But I I printed it out myself, and it, it really is it really is a a good method here. The we we sort of skipped over the stop system, which I want to talk about now. But before we do on this managing the environment, you know, one thing that that I I, I struggle with, which is this whole calendaring thing and reminders. You know, with the movement, the smartphones, where it, it it's this smaller thing, and to me, it, I'm not quite young enough to <laughs> to have it in front of me all the time, because I think there is a function of age. Um, I don't know if anyone's done a study on this, but I think the younger you are, the more you stare at your smartphone. And no offense to people who do, but in any event, uh, it's those you know the big calendar on the door or on the desk does does better for me. Um, and I think that you know I I guess it's got to it's got to uh, t- be tailored to the to the person on what reminder or what calendar is going to work. But I think that goes to what you're saying about you have to change your environment the, that that you live in that you work with. Um, and some of these systems of changing the environment are going to work better than others. Right? Yeah. Well, that's right. And, and you know, one of the things to, to remember, and this is as good a time to talk about this as any, is that, you know, behavior change is hard, which means that every once in a while you're going to fail, you're going to blow it, you're, yeah. you're going you're gonna to forget to do something, you're going to do the opposite of what you wanted to do. People on a diet will, will every once in a while eat a little bit too much. You know, and in those situations, you have to be kind to yourself. You have to recognize that a failure on a particular day does not signal an overall inability to change your behavior it just it just means you failed on that day and the critical part of that is it's a learning experience the plans that you make are not set in stone those plans uh, need to be revised along the way as you discover what works for you and what doesn't and and so if you think about things like the calendar that you're using well you know if you've got a calendar system that you think is working for you that's great there's there's no one-size-fits-all uh, solution to changing behavior, but if you were to discover systematically that you're not checking that calendar wherever it is, now that's a sign that maybe, okay, this is something where uh, maybe I ought to change this up a little bit, try something new, and see if that works a little bit more effectively. So rather than banging your head against the same wall over and over again, learn from those failures and say, okay, this isn't working for me. Let me try something a little bit different and see if that is going to be a more effective way of, of making a change. Yeah, and I think that the, the takeaway point here about the importance of the environment 
to change behavior is one that is extremely important because we are linked into our environment. I mean, if mm-hmm. if you, I mean, example being, I mean, I think you gave an example in your book uh, that whether it's drinking beer or eating cheeseburgers and french fries, if, if all your friends do it and if people you hang around with do it and you go to happy hour every day or, or you, uh, you know, sit around and watch um, all, all of the TV shows, then, then that is a big influence on you. It's the same thing with what you keep in your cupboard your, uh, yeah. and, or on your bookshelf. So, so it's extremely important. And frankly, Art, I don't think, uh, my own experience, I don't think you could really change behavior without changing your environment. I think that you're I- fighting an uphill battle. It makes it even harder. That, that's exactly right, you know, and, and, and that's actually, you know, uh, gets back actually to the stop system, yeah. right? One of, the, one of the things about the stop system is if you, if you face temptation all the time, then the only thing standing between you and the undesirable behavior is a couple of ounces of brain material up above your eyes that hopefully is going to engage to stop you from doing something. But, you know, if you think about, about the Odyssey, for example, right, Odysseus lashes himself to the mast because he wants to hear the siren song. So he deliberately exposes himself to something he knows he's not supposed to have. And it takes not just his willpower, but it takes physical ropes yeah. and, and his entire crew to keep him from doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't rely on that on a regular basis. You know, so so you really want to, you as I say, with the environment. Not only do you want to make those desirable behaviors easy, you want to make the undesirable behaviors hard. You know, I I lost a lot of weight at some point in my life, and and part of part of that process was recognizing that I had a a bad relationship with those single serving cartons of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> you know, where I, where I'd eat way too much, you know, a whole pint at a sitting. Yeah. And and uh, and and one of the things that I realized as I was going through that process that fits with this is is that you can't eat an ice cream if it's not in your freezer. <laughs> so so you know, if you just don't buy it Right. then part of what you're doing is making it, making it a lot easier for yourself to avoid some of those temptations that are, that are there in front of you. And I think, you know, when, when, you're, when you're trying to deal with the stop system effectively, managing your environment is important and planning for the obstacles is so important. You know, I, the analogy I like to use is, you know, you, you go to a party and somebody makes a wisecrack at your expense. And in that moment, you can't think of the comeback that would really have laid that person out. And then, and then 25 minutes later, you're leaving the party and you think of the perfect thing that you should have said to that person. Yes. Right. Well, changing your behavior is sort of the same way when these temptations strike it's sort of like being the, the the object that wisecrack and in the moment you might not know what to do so wouldn't it be great if you could plan for that in advance so that when the temptation strikes you're already ready you already know what it is that you're going to do beforehand so now you're not thinking for the very first time about what the problem is and so another really critical part of helping the stop system to do its thing is to really make sure you're ready for as many of of the obstacles that are going to come up as you can. And so, for example, um, 
I talk to people a lot about, well, if you're trying to lose weight, what do you do at the bane of the modern business event where you, you're suddenly faced with a buffet? Yeah. You know, I, I hate that. You know, you, you sit there all morning getting hungrier and hungrier, and then suddenly they release you into yeah. a room with mountains of food. Yeah. Um, if you wait in that moment for the first time to be thinking about what to do, the next thing you know, you're going to have a heaping pile of food in front of you, and you're going to be stuffing your face at a table. So I tell people, look, while everyone else rushes to get online, you find a table to sit at. Pick a table, preferably far away from the buffet. Find a chair that faces away from where all the food is so that you're not looking at it. Then I tell people, go to the dessert cart first, not to grab a dessert, but because that's where they put the smallest plates. So grab a small plate, get at the end of the line. By the time you get to the front of the line, all the good stuff's been picked over, so you're not necessarily uh, as tempted by, by a perfect-looking display of food. Fill up that smaller plate with whatever it is you want to eat. Uh, sit down. Now it's taken about half the lunchtime for you to get your food. Now you sit down. You eat. By the time you're done, chances are they've begun to clear the food away, so you can't really go back for more. And, uh, and you've eaten a reasonable amount of food uh, and, and had a perfectly good meal, and you've lived to, to, to diet another day. Yeah. So, so I think that that's – but the main thing is you had a plan before you walked into the room, and that is the thing that makes all the difference. Well, I think that that is, is another fundamental uh, principle that we could all benefit from in your in your book in your method which is this plan and it really mm -hmm. and the and the thing about plans is that it doesn't take that much time to do it you know that whole right. that old adage uh, the carpenter measure twice cut once uh, it's it's so much it, it it saves you so much grief if you mm -hmm. do it, if you do it ahead of time and I'm, I'm looking at at the end of your book where you have the smart change journal um, which I'll do the it's it's available at smartchangebook.com and it's I printed it up myself as I mentioned but the you know a little bit of planning goes a long way and your point here about identifying the obstacles and knowing what to do when you encounter them uh, is I think is extremely is is, is extremely helpful uh, I don't want to um, forget uh, that to me one of the things that struck me as something that I think we could all use more sort of counseling on, and I'm a little unsure where this fits in, but you talk about the importance of, of arousal and of energy. And sometimes you're in a low energy, high energy, and there's different kinds of people who get excited. Some people are always mellow and laid back. But that really resonates with me because if you don't have that that excitement, that urge, the energy, it's hard to do anything. And so, yeah. and so I, I like you to talk a little bit about, about where energy fits in here and what do you do in a low energy state? Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. You know, the motivational system really is all about goals and energy, or what psychologists call arousal. And so if you don't get energized to do something, then you don't act. 
And so if you find yourself in a situation in which you don't have the energy to do something, part of what you need to do is to create that energy. Now, some people listening to this are going to think, I don't even know what you're talking about. Some people are naturally so high arousal, so energy, so energized that they just, they just begin to get stuff done. Yeah. Right. These are the people when there's a when there's an assignment at work that's three weeks away. You talked earlier about, you know, having a brief that doesn't need to be finished for three more weeks. There are some people who are thinking three weeks. I got to get moving on this. Yeah. And then there are other people who are like three weeks. I got plenty of time. Right. Um, and, and so if you're the normally one of those very high arousal people, then for you, you're thinking, all right, I got to get moving on the next thing. But if, if you find yourself in that kind of low arousal state, what can you do to really energize yourself to get uh, some, some work done? And, and there's a lot of things that you can do, right? One of them, which relates to the, the, um, the last set of tools in the book, has to do with engaging with the people around you. So human beings are, are remarkably social creatures. You know, we, we are not particularly physically imposing as individuals. As I like to say, pick your favorite middle linebacker uh, in, in the National Football League. Um, imposing physical specimen that he is, if we put him up against a bear, I'm betting on the bear right. every single time. Right. You know, um, we, we, our strength comes from our ability to work together. And one of the things that our brain does that allows us to work together so effectively is that it allows us to key in on the goals that other people have so that those goals become contagious. We hang out with people who do something and it naturally makes us want to do the same thing. So for example, if I wake up one morning and think to myself, you know, I don't really feel like exercising. I don't really feel like going for a walk. For me here, I, I live in Austin, Texas, beautiful Austin, Texas. If I wander downtown, um, we have a, a lake uh, around uh, in, in downtown and, and a trail around that lake. And there, at any hour of any day, there are people walking and running and biking around that trail. And, and you know what? If you walk over there and just you, – you can't sit. Because as soon as you see that many people moving and exercising, you have to do the same yeah. thing yourself. It just that goal is contagious. So one of the great ways of, of energizing yourself is to hang out with other people who are doing the thing that you want to do because their goals, their actions are naturally energizing to you. Yes. Um, you know, putting yourself in the environment where things happen, that's energizing to you. And, and it's also energizing to do things that make, help you make a little bit of progress towards your goal. You know, one of the, one of the hard things for people to do is to, is, you know, if you think about some of the really big picture kinds of items, you know, learning to play the saxophone, when I, when I learned to do that, that was a, a long range plan. You know, I, I started with the goal that in 10 years I wouldn't be terrible. Yeah, um, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty realistic yeah, thing. That's I, realistic. I, I, yeah, that's realistic. Yeah, that's good. That's 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 the way I should do because I'm I'm looking at. Yeah. I mean, we have a piano, and I, I don't it don't get me started about <laughs> about uh, how prolonged my learning curve has been. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's wonderful. You know what? And if you put it in that ten year time frame, you never know. I mean, yeah. I actually play in a blues band now. Wow, that's uh, cool. You know, and in yeah. fact, Sunday nights I go out uh, every Sunday night playing the horn section of a blues band. Yeah, so well, you know, I'm not I'm no longer horrible. Well, well, that's what's um, good about Austin, Texas, by the way. You guys have a great that, music scene. I just want to throw that in there because I do like Austin. Uh, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, tr true enough. And and so, you know, making a little bit of progress on something, just, you know, discovering something that you that you didn't know how to do and now you worked at it a little bit and now you can do it, you know, that – 
that's energizing. Seeing progress that you've made. I mean, another thing you mentioned at the very beginning is doing something like writing a book. And if you look at the people who are successful book writers who write lots of books, and I talk in the book a little, in Smart Change a little bit about Stephen King, who's an incredibly prolific author. You know, he has this routine where every single day he sits down in the morning and he writes something. And one of the beauties of that kind of routine is not only over the years has it just become a habit for him, but each day having sat down and worked on something, you have, an, you have output. You have something to show for it, and you can look at that, at, at that output and realize that uh, you, know, you have accomplished something. And you can look back over a week of work or, or, or two weeks of work and realize that not only do you have something, you might actually have quite a bit to show for that. And that can also be really energizing to realize that you're actually beginning to make progress on something that seemed like it was an insurmountable task. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Professor Art Markman of the University of Texas at Austin. He just came out with his new book, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. And we're talking about how really to change our behavior. And, you know, Art, it seems like you, you have a similar sort of day uh, daily schedule to, to me. And, you know, people like uh, Stephen King and and I'll throw in Charles Darwin here. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, sure. always, I'm always jealous of him because he, he had. He, I guess he he married well. Uh, he had a lot of time. <laughs> he had a lot of time in his hand, but that's that's a side point. But f for those of us who ha who are who have more than one ball in the air, I mean, you're a professor uh, at the University of Texas, and I'm sure you have a lot of commitments on your job. And you know, I have a full time job. So so what what kinds of advice that you know and you may have already touched upon it but but you know you learn to play the saxophone on top of everything else you have going on uh you know for those who have more than one ball in the air is there anything key here to, that will help these people actually get this uh, secondary goal done yeah um, yeah, absolutely. Look, we're all busy, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's easy to look at things and say, you know what, I'm just too busy to do this. Yeah. And, and that's why I say being realistic is really important. Yeah. I did not pick up the saxophone with the goal of being great in two years. Yeah. You know, a high school kid um, may pick up the saxophone as a freshman in high school with the expectation that by, uh, by junior year, um, this kid will be a great sax player. Right. And, right. and that's because, you know, a, a high school kid has a lot of free time to, to devote to something like this. So you have to be a little bit realistic in your goals. I think it's important to, to recognize what what is potentially achievable and what what might not be. Yeah. But I also think that most of us have a lot of slack in our schedules. You know, um, for me, when I learned to play the sax, I looked at things I realized, you know, I was spending a fair amount of time uh, each week sitting down in front of the TV, watching television, watching, you know, watching a couple of TV shows. And that even if I just carved out, you know, a half hour from that uh, on a daily basis, you know, um, that, 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 that that would give me. Uh, a fair amount of time, right? That's three and a half hours a week. If you just yeah. if you just retrieve a half hour of TV watching a week, uh, that's three and a half hours a week, yes. and that builds up over time. Yes. Well, right? that's well so, that's, uh, that that's a really good point, and this goes to your to your advice about making this plan and using the smart change form 
that you have sort of looking at your at your life sort of in a in a global or in a or twenty thousand foot level. I mean, for myself, I mean, I do a lot of reading through Audible books when I drive. I mean, I yeah. it's amazing how many books you could quote unquote listen to uh, when you drive. You get stuck in traffic, and it's not that big of a deal because you because you're you're reading something that you that would probably make you fall asleep otherwise. Um, at least at least the kind of books I read. Now, the the um, the the last part of your or the last of your five goals I want to touch upon here because it's it's I think it's unique which and and I you have your own spin on it which is engaging with others and yeah. and you and you split the the others into some categories here and I'm gonna let, have you talk about it because you divide you have family uh, strangers I think you have friends or acquaintances in there and yeah. that that and you put this this element engaging with others as one of the five key ways to change behaviors and i'd like to have you talk about where this fits in because i think i yeah. not heard of this one before so yeah so go ahead well i mean i mentioned a little bit about this fact you know this idea of engaging with people who 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 are in who are using a particular goal because that goal becomes contagious and that's one small part of this idea of engaging with other people. You know, really quickly, one of the things I talk about is that there are lots of different sorts of people in our environment. There are, are people who are just total strangers to us. Uh, we have our family, and then we have, we have our neighbors. Um, and we engage in different kinds of, of, of interactions with people who are in these different categories, these neighbors or friends. Um, our family are people we spend tremendous amounts of time with, and, and as a result of doing that and engaging in rituals with them, holidays and birthdays and other things, we are willing to do almost anything for our family members, which, which can be a really wonderful thing. It's really important to have family. Um, the, the downside, the upside to family first on, in, in trying to achieve goals is that they can really um, help to pick up some of the, of the slack. If you have a goal that you need to achieve, you might talk with your family and say, hey, look, I need someone else to help me out and, and take care of some of the, the issues that, that I'm struggling with or take care of some of the other responsibilities that I have to clear the time for me to do this thing that I want to achieve. So family can be wonderful that way. But family can also be difficult because family are willing to say anything to each other. Yeah. Um, oftentimes they'll say things that, that aren't helpful in behavior change. You know, we've all had situations in which we're trying to make a change in behavior and family members are saying, you know, you can't do that. You, yeah. You've always been this way. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, when you, when you find that you have family members who are, who are getting in the way of, of, of your changing your behavior, you know, may, maybe it's time now to step away from some of them. Um, on the extreme other end of this, the spectrum are strangers. Strangers are people that we engage in fee-for-service relationships with. You know, um, if I go to the grocery store, I can't borrow a dozen eggs from the grocery store. Right. I might be able to borrow a dozen eggs from a family member or from a neighbor, but at the store, I've got to pay money for that. And it can be useful to have people like that in your life, particularly, uh, you know, people, people will engage fitness coaches and other things like that. Sometimes it's nice to have someone in your life where you don't have to worry about their feelings, you don't have to worry about the reciprocal part of the relationship, but you can just use their expertise, pay for it, but use it to help you to achieve your goals, you know. So, so you know, I found a saxophone teacher. My saxophone teacher, at least initially, was not a friend of mine. He was just somebody who I was paying 
uh, for his expertise. I mean, over the years, after 13 years of playing sax, I've, you know, I've actually become good friends with my sax teacher, but that's a, that's a different story. And in the middle of this, we have our friends, our acquaintances, our neighbors. And the thing, the thing about friends is friends will, um, will engage with you in ways where, where they will uh, they will put up the same amount that you will, basically, right? If you think about your neighbor, um, um, you know, you imagine you walk out of your house one morning, you got a flat tire on your car, your neighbor comes out, helps you change the tire, you wouldn't pull out a $20 bill and give that to your neighbor. Right. You know, that, 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 that isn't right. But what you might do is something else for them in kind later. So you might drive your neighbor's kid to school or, um, you know, cut, the grass in front of your neighbor's house one morning um, as a way of kind of keeping up with your end of the bargain. And, and those kinds of people are really valuable to have when you're trying to change behavior. You know, finding an exercise partner, finding a writing group full of people who are your neighbors as writers, you know, who will read over drafts of what you've written in exchange for um, you reading some of the things that they've done. You know, those kinds of people um, are really wonderful to have when you're trying to change behavior. Um, it's particularly useful if you can find people who are willing to mentor you a little bit, who can who can help to share some of their experience and, and for you to engage in the similar kind of mentoring relationship as you develop your ability to, uh, to make changes in behavior, that can be incredibly energizing. And, and so, you know, finding people in the world who will help you along the way is, is such a critical part of succeeding at behavior change. And, and one of the reasons why this is so important is because in a culture like the one that we have in the United States, which is a very individualist culture, we tend to, to be, um, we tend to prize great people doing great things in difficult situations. And I think that, that you have to remember that you don't get an extra gold star if you change your behavior all by yourself. It's important to be willing to take help from other people and to use that help uh, along the way and then to provide help to others and not to assume that every bit of behavior change is only successful if you've managed to do it all by yourself, all alone. Well, it's it sort of points to us being social creatures and and this, uh, you know, the concept of peer pressure and hanging around with positive people. And there there's a lot here. I think you've... You've sort of separated it in a a more uh, how can I put this uh, more granular uh, systematic approach, and I think you've given it uh, more more credibility by by doing it. The the this also though has negative negative connotations. I mean, in thinking about, uh, I mean, you you give the example in your book about. Uh, the the guy who flew into the a, a plane into the IRS building, who had yeah. who who had this internet relationship, and when you when you wrote that, I was thinking about you know the the various um, terrorist attacks that we read mm. about, and it's 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 so clear to me that that this is the negative, this is the negative go system. This is you know yeah. the, these folks that have these these common, you know. Uh, agendas there, whether whether they haven't had opportunities, whether they've misread the Koran, or whether they just are off, you know, uh, doing something that some 
that, that one of their um, supposed religious leaders told them to do or just hanging around with the boys, who knows what it is. But, but it's so important to break through that and, and, and find people that will advance, enhance the achievement of, your, of not only your goals but your contributions. Yeah, right. yeah. That's... No, I think that that's absolutely right. You know, and, and one of the problems is, particularly because of the state of technology these days, it is ever easier for us to surround ourselves with people who only think exactly the way that we do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and one of the dangers of hanging out with people whose whose opinions are the same as ours is that we're not forced to contemplate that, in fact, it might be valuable for us to think differently than we do. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and so uh, I think that, that you know, if, if, you think, if, if you only listen to radio stations who agree with you, if you only read publications that agree with you, if you only uh, engage in conversations perhaps via the Internet with people who agree with you, then you're never challenged to think differently about your life. You're never challenged to, to realize that there are other smart people who might believe differently from you in ways that might actually change the way that you that you think about what's right to do in the world. Yes, and and last, and we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but last, you have a section about changing other people, and I, yeah. I thought that uh, my my takeaway here was the importance of trust, and I think that that really that really said something to me because people tend not to change their behavior unless they really trust the person doing the lecturing or the example setting or whatever yeah. whatever we're calling it and how, how did you come upon trust as being the the big factor here well you know if you think about it behavior change really is very hard yeah and and so you know one of the core things about including a section on affecting other people's behavior at the end was to point out that that um a lot of us try to go about changing behavior just by trying to find the right message to say to somebody. If I could only right. find the right words, right. then somehow that would cause a change in other people's behavior. Um, really quickly, right, I, I like to point out that, that uh, you know, our cultural top ten list, the Ten Commandments, is all about behavior change, yeah. right? If you excise the, the ones that have to do with follow this religion rather than that one, they're all about trying to do the thing that's right in the long term rather than the thing that's right in the short term. So yes. that very shiny thing somebody has, don't steal it. That person who just annoyed you, don't kill him. And, uh, and, and part of what I like to say about the Ten Commandments is, you know, according to the, to, to, to the, to the Bible, these were handed down by God, right? right. So um, if God comes down and says to you, don't do this, and, and by the way, right, the Ten Commandments are a failure as a, as a list, because, because manifestly uh, humanity still does all these things. Right. So what that means is that, that God can't tell you not to do something and have you and have that work so what makes you as another human being think oh yeah um i'm going to tell you what to do and you're just going to do it yeah you, yeah. you know behavior change is actually much more difficult than that yeah. and so if you're going to put in that effort and this is where trust comes in if you're going to really put in all of that effort that's required to change your behavior you have to really trust that the that the people who are helping you along the way have have your best interests at heart, because in order to engage that much effort 
to move forward. You have to really believe that you are engaged in a system that will work with people who are going to support you along the way. And, uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why trust ends up being so critical uh, in, in the process of trying to change behavior and in the process of trying to influence other people to change theirs, which means that you need to be a trustworthy person. You need to actually, you know, as, as the saying sometimes goes, you need to walk the walk in addition to just talking the talk. Um, as a way of uh, of helping other people to see that it's actually possible to make real change. Yeah, and I think that making this into a a scientific issue is really good because we all know that science is is based upon experimentation, testing, and really what we're doing here is we are using our own lives as as the testing ground. And, yes. and the nice thing is, is, as you point out through things like playing a saxophone, diets, and, uh, and writing books, that good habits can develop and this system can become habit-forming. And that's really, right. that's really what the ultimate objective is. Now, we've come to the end here, Art, so why don't you just tell folks, I mean, I know you have a website, you know, a, a website and a couple other books. Why don't you just tell folks how to... Uh, learn more about your new book and other things that you're doing. Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah, you can find information about all my books, Smart Thinking, Smart Change, Habits of Leadership, at the website smartthinkingbook.com. Smartchangebook.com will actually work as well. Uh, there is a tab uh, on that website for Smart Change, and on that is a, a copy of my uh, uh, of the Smart Change Journal. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and find uh, a lot of the blogging that I do. I have a radio show out of Austin called Two Guys on Your Head that's also available uh, on the web. And so there's there's lots of ways for people to find out more about what I'm doing uh, if they're interested. Okay, and once again, I, I want to recommend uh, Art's book, uh, Smart Change. It's a very down-to-earth, practical, and also scientific uh, uh, book on doing something that is so difficult as as we discussed here but it's possible if you use the right formula the right methods and the right discipline and that is changing our behavior as I said earlier uh, we can't really change anything else including our community our our country globally we can't approach things unless we change ourselves first this is Philip Camella this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We'll see you next week when we'll have Miriam Knight talk about what wags the world. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.